Hello and welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, the Sunlinks podcast. I'm your host, Steve Duncan. However, you may have found your way here. Thanks so much for tuning in. On this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. Today in the show, I'm talking to Sonia Hartle all about her brand new book, The Lost Girls, which is described as, Sonia Hartle's The Lost Girls is laced with dark humor and queer love. It's John Tucker must die with a feminist girl gang of vampires. Yes, despite the grim nature and buckets of blood, The Lost Girls is one of the most fun books you'll read this year. Sonia cuts off the vampire crust, removing most of the familiar tropes to give us a welcome new version of vampires we don't often see, and it's wonderful. It will have you thinking twice next time you romanticize the notion of eternal life, and definitely make you think about things in a whole new way. We talk about being a longtime mentor in Pitch Wars, lots of vampire tropes, crimp terror, the extremely fun nature of the book, the Lost Girls, of course, and much, much more. Well, this is a spoiler-free discussion, the odd minor detail may slip out, so if you haven't read the book and don't wish to be spoiled at all, better stop listening now, but definitely double back once you've read it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. As always, around these parts, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. This, of course, should be done all year long. And a reminder that this month is National Hispanic Heritage Month in the U.S., so please support the Hispanic communities in any way that you can. Since we talk books here, I'm going to provide a list of some but not all Hispanic authors who kick all kinds of ass. This should be done all year long again, of course, not just because the Gregorian calendar says so. Look for that link after the show. Okay, Sonia Hartle is the author of Not Your Love Story and Have a Little Faith in Me, which received a starred review in book page and earned nominations for the Georgia Peach Book Award. He also has quick picks for Reluctant Readers, Bank Street College of Education's Best Children's Books of the Year, and ALA's Rise, a feminist book project list. She's also the author of the adult rom-con Heartbreak for Hire. When she's not writing or reading, she enjoys playing board games with her family, attempting to keep her garden alive, or looking up craft projects she'll never get around to completing on Pinterest. She's a member of the SCBWI, which is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and was the managing director for Pitch Wars in 2020. She lives in Grand Rapids with her husband and two daughters, but she's here today to talk about her new book, The Lost Girls, which is described as, Sonia Hartle's The Lost Girls is laced with dark humor and queer love. It's John Tucker must die with a feminist girl gang of vampires. Please welcome to the show, Sonia Hartle. Hi, Sonia. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, it's a very apt description about the book, isn't it? <laughs> like I, said, yes. not, I don't always agree <laughs> with comps, but that's a pretty good one. We'll talk about we'll talk about why in a second. But um, yeah, that uh, talking about uh, pitch wars there. So you're gonna you're actually a mentor again this year. And not this year. Not this year. Oh, I thought you were. Thought I read somewhere that you were going to do it again this year. Um, but you did it for a lot of years, many years though. Yes. What five or six in a row, wasn't it? I think then. Yeah, I started. I was a mentor in 2015. I started out as an adult mentor, and then yeah. I was a YA mentor um, through 2016 through 19, and then 2020 I was an adult mentor again. And this year I'm still on the committee, and I'm the communications director. I'm just not mentoring. Oh, okay, year. okay, okay. But you're still involved. You think you'll always be involved in some way? Probably. Uh, you enjoy um, it, yeah. Probably. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really, really, really fucking cool thing. And it, you know, I was talking to an author earlier today, actually, who was a product of DV Pit. Um, she was discovered on that. So, you know, we, we started talking about how wonderful it is that these things exist. And it wouldn't exist without social media, really. I mean, you couldn't do this 20 years ago. And 
you know, authors just had a much harder time, obviously, right? Because it was, they had to use traditional methods to reach out to people, to find agents, what have you. So the technology has made it easier than ever, hasn't it? And it's really, really made it possible for people to like, I'm going to get cheesy here, dream the impossible dream in a way, isn't it? Because you can connect with people in the industry that just in a way you couldn't before. Yeah. And I also think it's, it's, made it so much easier for people to find other people who are like-minded and other writers because writing is a lonely endeavor right and it can be very isolating if you don't have a community and these these um events that crop up like dv pit and pitch wars it's not just about you know getting in front of industry professionals but it's also reaching out to people who you know write similar things as you or people who um, are on a similar path as you that you can really connect with and kind of go through this journey together. So you don't always feel like you're doing this by yourself. What's a good, a good for people out there who, who are maybe thinking about being a mentor. Uh, what's a good quality to have? Do you think? I think for being a mentor, it's a lot about wanting to give back. Um, it does take a lot of work and a lot of time. So it's gotta be something that you truly believe in. Like, um, wanting to, you know, lift up other writers and, uh, you know, pass on any knowledge that you learned to people um, who are up and coming. And I think the most important qualities to have in a mentorship is just a desire to want to help and want to uh, pass on knowledge that you learned. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you've done enough marketing now for books and, and you've seen probably, you know, other especially the last couple of years, maybe you've watched a lot of panels and stuff or just interviews in general. It's typically like if there's five questions I could predict, it's one of them is going to be any advice for aspiring writers out there, right? That authors always get asked. And so here, you know, and that's uh, a fair, a fair question for sure. But here now is like putting that into action, isn't it? These things like pitch wars and DB pit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's always, you know, about, the main thing is about building up your community and mm -hmm. uh, learn and learning from people who, you know, are up and coming because everybody has something to offer, you know, yeah. in the writing world, you know, a new perspective or um, some tips and tricks that they've learned from other people that they've connected with, or, you know, just somebody to, you know, commiserate with when things don't go so well, because publishing is very, very up and down. That's a big part of it, isn't it? You're right. Having someone to lean on, whether it's virtually or otherwise, right? You know, because it uh, it is it's a tough business, man. There's no doubt about it. And one one of the things that keep keeps me up at night is thinking about all the stories that we'll never or never got to see because of just people just not having access or opportunity. And so that's I always I just you know I, I feel really really great that these things exist. Just for, if anything for that reason, and 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 it's kind of selfish in a way. That just means I get to read more wonderful stories. But uh, you know it's such a great thing, and I love it. This this whole idea of of paying it forward, right? Because you know to be a mentor, you hopefully have achieved some level of, of success. Um, to varying degrees, of course, but you're in a position where you can pay it forward because you would, you may have been that person on the other end of the line, right? At one point. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a really cool thing. And I'm just, I think it's really cool that you do it and you stuck with it. You've been doing it now for, yeah, for many years in a row. So um, it's nice to hear you'll always be involved in some way. Um, you were, uh, you didn't really start writing novels till college. Is that correct? Actually, I didn't start writing novels till um, 
I was out of college. I was out of home. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was, I mean, technically, I, I don't want to say out of college. I was between college. Let's say that. Sure. Because <laughs> I, um, you were finding I, yourself. I yeah. stopped. Yeah. I yeah. stopped going. <laughs> so I was like two, I had two years in towards my bachelor's degree. And then I stopped and I was a stay at home mom for five years before I went back to work and school. Okay. So um, I wrote a novel in those in between times. Okay. My first one that was back in 2005. Was that the plan? Like, what did you take in college? Uh, I was a psychology major. Okay. Okay. And I minored in um, English and creative writing. And I was, I was actually um, a major at the first university I was at. Yeah. And as an English creative writing major. And okay. I minored in psychology. Okay. Well, when I transferred um, schools, I started going to school and it was all online school and they didn't offer English as a major. So I ended up majoring in psychology because it was the, the uh, next subject I had the most credits in that mm. could transfer over. <clears throat> so, uh, yes and no. <laughs> what, what, so was writing novels though, or books, was that like, what was the thing that sort of said to you, like, I want to try this? Like, was it, was it a single event? Was it just, you, that was just sort of what you want, always wanted to do? Cause I know where I read, you were always like, you were journaling in high school and, uh, wrote wrote short stories and and you know to your friends in school uh, you know what I mean so you've always been writing you know quote unquote but was there something like a lightning bolt or something that made you think you know you know what like I want to tell stories maybe not for a living necessarily but in a more professional manner yeah I well there's several factors like I did I've always written even when I was younger I used to write short stories when I was younger and then in um my teen years, I wrote a lot of angsty poetry and I did do journaling. And then uh, I wrote short stories in college. And it was, I would say, into the, around 2004 and 2005-ish, around that time, I spent a lot of time on soap opera message boards because I was a soap addict. So I watched Days of Our Lives and Passions every day and eventually stopped watching days so much and then started watching just mainly passions and I got involved in writing like fan fiction and spent a lot of time discussing the characters on message boards and I started thinking I'd always wanted to write a novel but I was like I don't think that's something I can do it seems like so much etc cetera, etc cetera. and then I started thinking about all this time <laughs> that I was putting <laughs> right. in these message boards right. every right. day right. and I was like I could be using that those words to write a novel so I'd had this idea for this novel for many, many years. And I actually wrote it as a short story first and it kept going and I was too large for a short story. So I sat down and I wrote the novel and it was, I didn't even know how to write a novel. I was just taking a guess. So I assumed that 300 pages or so on word was going to be the length of a novel. Right. So I started writing Times New Roman, single spaced, <laughs> 300 pages. Yeah. And then when I got to 300 pages, I sort of just let the story fizzle out and called it the end. Right, right. And then, um, yeah. And then I figured out after that, after I'd done all that, I was like, you know, I'm going to Google how to write a novel because I don't think I'm doing this right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then you're like, word count? <laughs> what? What's yeah, this it was about like work? 180,000 yeah. words or something. <laughs> and it was it was bananas. I just kept writing stuff because I was, I was running out of plot. 
was because I was trying to wrap up the oh, story. No, you were writing like, a du- no, you were writing only- a du- you were writing a duology. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, was, I kept running out of things to write about because I was like, well, I'm I'm at 150 pages and it's not long enough yet. I need to like throw in some more stuff to make this keep going. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. And Good so times. that did you query that? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did query that. Poor me. It was it was <laughs> rough going. And this was back in 2005 when and e-queries were not quite a thing back then. Right. Even though everybody had internet, publishing I don't know sometimes takes a little longer to catch up on things. It feels like yeah. and so everybody wanted hard copy queries. So that was all, you know, envelopes, self-addressed stamped envelopes put in them, um, sending them out to agents through snail mail. Right. Because that was how querying was done back then. Yep. Yeah. It's changed a lot. So, I mean, you've seen then, you know, you've gone through this huge transition then into this, you know, sort of what we were just talking about, like with social media and stuff. And it has changed the way authors are sometimes expected to market themselves now in a way that yes. they, did, they didn't have to before. Like old school days, it would have been writers write, publishes publish and publish you know, publish, um, publicists publicize. Right. But now have you ever been asked by your publisher to market or, or do more on social media? No, they, my publishers will, um, ask me to do, to, you know, um, do you want to do this, you know, blog post or, you know, uh, interview or, podcasts like we're doing here today or great yep, <laughs> um, yep. and he, they'll just ask me if I want to participate in things but they never tell me you need to spend more time on social media or they've never put you know pressured me in that way but I'm very fortunate that either one of them have not done that to me yeah it's come up and I've talked about you know I talked to authors all the time and some some have been asked directly to do more on social media and they're not comfortable doing that necessarily right because not everyone's great on Twitter or whatever right because um, I think we you know you would agree that Twitter's you know, both, you know, a really great thing and also a really shitty thing at the same time because it gives everyone a voice. And when you say everyone, that that means everyone. So it can get uh, pretty prickly out there some days uh, for authors, especially because you're putting yourself out there so much too, right? A lot of times in your own stories and stuff. But uh, what do you, uh, what do you type on now? What did you start typing on originally? And what did you, what do you work on now? Like physically? Oh, like a, like computer wise? Yeah. Yeah, I think I I wrote my first novel on a desktop computer. Um, I had a little desk and everything for it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what kind it was. I'm yeah. uh, I don't even want to know. I don't even know like what, what, what Windows program was running on. I want to say like Windows two thousand three or something. Right, <laughs> it was something right, really old. Right. Um, and then I right now I write on a laptop. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's interesting too because I've actually met authors who still just do like a lot of a lot of you know pen to paper. Sometimes it's you get all sites. Eventually, it has to be you know transferred into a document, right? But um, it's I'm always fascinated with process. And, and do you have like an office at home, or do you just coffee shops? Like, what's your what's your go to? I do have an office at home. It's yeah. actually um, I just moved into a new home last year, and I actually have an office now. Where before. I had dedicated space for writing, but I didn't have, it wasn't necessarily like a, an official office. And this one is an official office. Right. And it's very nice to ha- be able to close the door and, and write when I need to. That's a big thing. Yeah. And, and you do yeah. work and you do work right during the day or full time anyway. I do. So, so w- yep. what do you, you get up? Like, are you an early morning writer then or evenings or what's your, uh, what's your schedule? 
evenings. Evenings, yeah. Um, I can't write in the mornings because I have to get up, get my kids ready for school. Um, well, my one kid now because my other one is, is uh, out of the house, but right. my um, youngest, I have to get her up, get her to be to work at 8.30, so it's there's no time in the morning for me, yep. but in right. the evening, I usually write between, I want to say, usually between 8.30 and 11. Mm-hmm. 30 is when I'll do my writing when I'm when I'm drafting in the middle of drafting and then of course when I am drafting a project I do take tend to take vacation around that time too so I can write during the day and just kind of write straight through when you need to knuckle down yeah um yeah you uh so you've got it'll be when this book comes out it'll be sort of you know three three YAs to an adult would do what you like writing YA better than adult um, I like both. There's yeah. things I like about both of them. Um, I there's just certain stories lend themselves better to certain perspectives and for sure. Yeah, I like writing both. Yeah, you're a big reader as well. Um, yes, huge so, reader. I read a lot. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, give me a few titles from this year that have stuck with you. Oh my gosh, this question always makes my mind go completely blank. <laughs> I um. Well, if, like, okay. If it's if you're like me, then it's I, I'm the same. Whereas you know, at the end of the year, I usually do like my favorite books from this past year and I wouldn't be able to do it, but I have like spreadsheets, right? Because I read so many books and I have to keep track and, you know, publishers and contacts and authors and stuff. So if I, I have spreadsheets of every book that I've read. So I'm able to go to that and jog my memory. Otherwise I would just say the last book I read <laughs> every single time. That's so smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like if you were to ask me just on the street to be whatever book was in my hand or whatever the last one I finished, because yeah, I can't, I'm, I'm, my memory is just shit. So I wouldn't be able to do it. So thank God for, you know, Excel spreadsheets and different things like this. That is amazing. I will say the book I'm reading right now is I'm starting, I just started the Immortals After Dark series by yep. Presley Cole. So that's what I'm reading right now. Cool. And what did I read before? That? Oh, I read, you know, I read, what did I read before that? I think I read like half the Ice Planet Barbarian series. So mm, yeah, I've been reading just everything. I've been changing everything up too. Like then I'll grab like a contemporary, you know, and read that. And then um, I'll grab a fantasy. I just read The Bridge Kingdom recently too. That was really good. Um, so I keep switching up genres as I read them, kind of trying to um, avoid a reading slump by keeping things fresh. Yeah, that's, um, you know, as a sort of blogger and stuff, I sort of commit myself to certain ones, but I mostly read YA uh, contemporary, but I'm, you know, I like to, I like a lot of science fiction as well and fantasy and stuff, but yeah, I like to mix it up, but you do, I wasn't a, I was in a fucking really bad slump a couple of months ago, actually, and uh, I didn't even take my own advice. And usually, you know, my advice to somebody would be go back and just reread something that you love, that you know is great. Um, that's a good, good slump breaker, but, uh, I kind of just pushed through it and kept on with new releases and, but, uh, it ended up getting out of it obviously, but yeah, that's, uh, it's a bad beat, isn't it? <laughs> when you're in a yeah. slump for reading, it's cause it's just like, oh, is this not, this has got to end. And then it doesn't. And you're like, holy shit, somebody write a good book. And you're just like, all right. <laughs> And, and it's it, it's not even necessarily the books that I'm I'm reading are not holding my attention. It's just that 
I just think this whole last year and a half in general is oh, like yeah. that doesn't help. Yeah, messing with my headspace so much that it's it's harder for me to like concentrate and connect on things. And for stay, sure, you know, yep. immersed and focused. And for me, reading um, being immersed in a different world is the whole point, point yeah. and purpose for me to read. So. Yeah, for sure, it's escapism, yeah. right? Like one of the movies or yeah. or whatever. And uh, but yeah, no, it's a it's a real thing. It's a real thing, slumps. And we're, one day we'll talk about it. People who go through slumps and <laughs> yeah. see who's had the longest slump ever. I don't know. Um, so uh, I'll tell you what book wasn't part of my slump was The Lost Girls. Um, I really enjoyed the shit out of this book um, for a lot of reasons. Number one, because it, of course, just instantly reminds me of The Lost Boys, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, and uh, I actually, so when I was younger, I, people used to say I look like Jason Patrick and I'm not, this is not, I'm not patting myself on the back. Trust me. I'm not <laughs> nearly that good looking. So I don't understand it. but I think it's because I had a uh, similar eye color and I used to have like, my hair is dark Brown and kind of like not curly, but like, you know, if you remember Jason Patrick's hair in that movie, it was kind of like wavy curly. Right. So people used to say, I look like Jason Patrick. And with my friends, we were obsessed with that movie years later we were at a bar in Toronto and Kiefer Sutherland was there and he was really drunk by the way. And oh. yes. And so of course, you know, great Canadian actor. We all, we had, we had to go up and say hi and being like, yeah, this is great. And so my friends got him to say, I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember that movie at all? Or I, I remember bits of it. I've not yeah. seen it in a long, long time. There's a scene where he's eating Chinese food and then they make him think he's eating maggots. I don't even remember that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so my friends got a drunk Kiefer Sutherland to come up to me and like grab me by the collar. I didn't, wasn't expecting this by the way. And he just, and he says this line, he says, you're eating, you're eating maggots, Michael. Like that's just the line from the movie. And it's so imagine, so imagine you're at a, you're at a bar, right? Minding, minding your own business. And Kiefer Sutherland grabs you by the collar and says, you're eating maggots, Michael. And I was just like, holy fuck. I was like, you know, had a few drinks myself and uh, it was funny. We talked to him for a few minutes and he was great about it. And then, you know, we got some good, good pictures of the, you know, but it was uh it was really funny. Anyways, so yeah, the Lost Girls, Lost Boys. So right away, I was like, okay, well, this has got to be good. It's it's uh, it you know borrows sort of the same name, but uh, not the same, not the same story. Obviously, um, this summary for this book is kind of long, Sonia. I'm not gonna lie, so I don't really want to read the whole thing. Do you got a good? Uh, do you have a good version, like a good elevator sort of uh, version of the summary that you want to lay on us? short pitch um oh geez i'm terrible at these. <laughs> i can just read this you know what i'll just you know what screw it i'll read the summary it's it's uh it's a little long and but it's going to do most no no you don't have to read the whole summary you can just read like the little like all right. so clippy what are we, thing at the top i guess what are we going here so all right yeah getting over your vampire exes is easy coming on yeah Holly Liddell has been stuck with crimped hair since 1987, which I find so funny, by the way. We're going to talk about that. Uh, when she agreed to let her boyfriend Elton turn her into a vampire. But when he ditches her at a gas station a few decades into their eternity together, she realizes that being young forever actually means working graveyard shifts at Taco Bell. Sleeping in seedy motels and being supernaturally compelled to follow your ex from town to town, at least until Holly meets Elton's other exes. It seems that Holly isn't the only girl Elton seduced. Into this wretched existence, he turned uh, Ida in 1921 and Rose in 1954. 
and he abandoned them both as well. Now Rose and Ida want to kill him before he can trick another girl into eternal adolescence, and they'll need Holly's help to do it. Um, and once I'm, I'm just reading the whole thing now. And once Holly said, once Holly starts falling for Elton's vulnerable new conquest, Parker, she'll do anything to save her to kill Elton for good. Holly and her friends will have to dig up their past, rob a bank and reconcile with people they've hurt in search for eternal love. And to win the girl, Holly will have to convince Parker that she's more than just Elton's crazy ex, even though she is trying to kill him. Um, uh, we'll get, yeah, like this just sort of where the idea come from. And, and I assumed you picked the dates. They're 30 uh, some odd years apart, just so you could, just so it could be land today. I assume. Is that why? Just to keep contemporary? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, where'd the idea come from? Um, I actually came from, I was just screwing around on Twitter as one does. And I posted this tweet about how I wanted to read a vampire novel except you know a hundred years after they had turned for true love and they were fully sick of each other's shit and they wanted out and um just kind of show how that that true love doesn't necessarily last forever and my and you know it got a couple of you know I think got like over a thousand likes on it or 1500 and my agent was like you know you could write this (laughs) and I was like oh yeah I yeah, I'm a writer. writer. <laughs> that is what I do. That's right. <laughs> so, like I could write that. So, and and I'm typically write contemporary and romance. So I was like, I looks like I'm writing a vampire book now. <laughs> and from there, it sort of took root because as soon as you're thinking about how I could make a fun vampire novel, I usually write, which is it was a lot of fun. It, yeah, you really take, I mean, it is, it's, it is very fun, um, but you do take the fun out of being a vampire and immortal, right? I mean, it's not, yes. um, you know, these versions that we, they usually give us, whether it's print or TV or movies, right? Like, of course, everyone immediately wants to say, uh, you know, we, you know, the, 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 the twilights and the um, interview with the vampires and which isn't, I wouldn't say a pretty depiction of it but anyways there's there's always sort of like this romantic notion right like whether it's romance directly romance or the this idea of eternal life right like just must be the greatest thing ever but it you what it boils down you're asking the question is okay eternal life is great but what if it happens when you are 16 and you have to live in today's right. world or what if you, or, I mean, I mean, heaven forbid younger, I mean, imagine, uh, it's, younger. It's just, but you know, 16 is a precarious age, obviously not quite old enough to like get a bank loan, own a house, uh, you know, like practical things. Um, and just being 16 is just, just being a high schooler still, even though, you know, you're a hundred or 30 or 40 or whatever age you are. Uh, in vampire years it's an it's a crazy age uh to be turned and i if you were going to be turned what age would you want to be at like what do you think what's a good age to be turned at because now i'm thinking of like remember an interview with a vampire and i'm sorry i'm bad with the names but the little girl um like if lestat and the other guy had been killed and it's just her what the fuck is she gonna do she's eight (laughs) right Right. like she's screwed Doesn't, doesn't matter if you live forever or not like you can't do anything so like, what do you think? Like 20, 22, 30? I don't even know. Maybe, maybe 20, 21 yeah. around that age. I know for sure it would not be 16. No, right. <laughs> um, that, is, that is for sure. And 
Yeah. So you sit down to write, you know, you're going to write the story about vampires and obviously, you know, we got to talk tropes. Um, which ones were, were you like, okay, the, I want this trope or that trope for sure, but the rest of these can go. What was the sort of two or three that hit, hit on you right away that you were going to keep and then which ones were going to go? Because you get rid of pretty much all of them. Yes, I do. I kept the drinking blood because I feel like that is, um, it has, I mean, it's not vampires, that that's not part of it, I feel right. like, so that um, I wanted to keep that. Um, the the sunlight thing I actually got rid of, at first I was going to keep it, and then um, I started doing more research, and sunlight uh, for vampires and them not being able to tolerate is actually relatively newer phenomenon like part of the newer part of the myth and legends of okay. vampires right if, if you it's only like a couple hundred years old that started to become a thing in in stories and okay. previous to that any mentions of vampires previous to that were uh, you know they could handle the sunlight and it was fine and i'm like well i'm just gonna you know what i mean i'm gonna go with that because it i'm gonna be honest here it worked better with my plot a hundred percent a hundred percent especially for a, a 16 year old right like right. it's easier to maybe come up with excuses but um especially when i'm dealing with like them having to go into the high school and things like that that's like, right that's right yeah yeah, yeah. no no so, it makes, it's practical it's, it's very practical yes yeah so it, it worked better in that way and i and then i was like when i was like if i'm going to throw out the sunlight then i want to come up with fun reasons why all these legends and myths were created in the first place so i just started you know, listing off all these things like, of you know, vampires have a reputation of not being able to tolerate the sunlight when the fact is they just don't like people. So they don't want to right, be out in the right. daylight when they're all around. Right. And because right. they don't know, need to they, sleep either. Your vampires don't need to sleep. No, they don't sleep because they are dead. So they're, right. you know, uh, they don't need that energy res restoration or whatever it is that we get when we sleep. And I got rid of the whole, you know, that myth that they have to be invited into the house. They're like, right. no, we just need an invitation because that's the polite thing to do. You just don't go into people's homes. Without <laughs> They're being like, asked. yeah, who walks into someone's house? Yeah. Right. And some it's, of the other stuff that they that they talked about was just like, you know, maybe they like encouraged those myths and legends, you know, just messing right. around and messing with humans or whatever. But right. Yeah. I don't remember. Did you? If you did, it would have been really quick. Did you do anything about the reflections? I can't remember. I don't think you did. No, no, no I didn't yeah. mention the reflections okay. at so all. So I no. didn't. Okay, so I didn't miss that. Um, one of the things too that you do is um, these vampires are really hard to kill. Yes, <laughs> like, very hard to kill. Especially once you take away the, you take away like the main methods we all know about: stake to the heart, um, the holy water, sunlight. I mean, those are gone. Right. So you know these vampires are incredibly hard to kill. I won't say how. Um, people are able to kill them but it's very difficult but like even like they regenerate limbs and stuff not instantly but pretty damn close yeah pretty quickly yeah uh the the reason why i wanted to make them harder to kill was one if um vampires were easy to kill wouldn't they just kill him True and enough. be done with it that's right that's right yep yep <laughs> that's yep. the end of the story yeah that's right <laughs> and also um Another reason why I made it so difficult, I don't want to give away spoilers, but the right. way that I set it up was that I wanted it to be putting the power back into the hands of the victims. And yes. yeah. I wanted it to be a situation where the three girls had to work together. They had to come together to make this happen. They can't just do it on their own. That's right. And you explain that 
you know, yeah. that's that that's essentially the whole that's the hatch of the whole plan. It's almost the you could almost call it a MacGuffin at that point. But uh, and you do some really interesting things, twist that up a little bit. Even at the end, you pull the old what's it what's it who's done it on some people. It's really good, really clever. Um, it, you know, the bit one of the things too is this idea that um, I, I can't remember. I'm not. I'm, for lack of a better word, like they have, they have to follow Elton wherever he goes. Yes. Like it's, there's this weird attraction to him where, um, and I mean, physically, right. Like if he goes to, you know, New York, they have to go to New York and they don't understand it. They don't even get it, but they just know that they have to do it. And they're aware of it kind of, and they hate it, but they don't have a choice. Right. Correct. Yes. They do have, they are supernaturally compelled to follow him and they cannot, be too far apart from him they can get about a 50 mile radius away from him that's right um so that you know uh, you know again practically helps because you have everybody in the same spot (laughs) which works out pretty well um so you have a lot of fun with uh so you have Ida from 1921 rose 54 um certainly times when things weren't great for women arguably still aren't you know, and I would I would agree with that argument. They still we're still we still got a ways to go for women. It's a lot more that needs to be done. But uh, definitely, nineteen fifty four. You know, this was before Miss Magazine was out, right? This is like yeah. before Housewives were you know felt like they had any hope at all. So Rose is stuck in that time period, and Ida's from nineteen twenty one. When of course the idea of equal rights. Well, I mean, we just gotten the you know the big Equal Rights Act and the late the early you know a few years before that but still it wasn't great um you go a little easier on holly she does have some you do have a little bit of fun with her and this idea that when they when they're turned they can't even change their hair right and so her hair's crimped because it's 1987 yes and she's stuck with crimped hair now forever <laughs> which is yes. really funny um and it's an ongoing joke and it's it's such a clever premise and you even bring up like this really interesting, these, like the, the really cool thing about this book that I like is that you, you, you're going to encounter as you should encounter, you know, issues and problems that only women would think about. So Holly has this patch of hair, like on her knee, yes. <laughs> right. That, you know, cause she was in a hurry shaving her legs back in 1987 and just missed a spot like happens probably all the fucking time. Right. Right. But, you all, but you, but you're like, I'll get it later. Right. Or, or I'll get it next time because you assume there's going to be a next time. And so she doesn't get a next time. So no. she's, she's stuck in eternity with this little patch of hair on her, on her knee or leg anyways, and crimped hair. What was that? Was that like, that was too, too, too hard to resist, I guess. Was it like, when did you come up with sort of ideas like that? And was there other ideas that maybe you thought of, but abandoned? Um, that, that one, I, I just liked it. I thought it was funny. I added it for humor that she has this like spot of hair because it just happens, you know, That's right. Absolutely. 100%, yeah. and you yep. see the spot and you missed it and you're like, Oh, well, I'll just get it next time. You know, right. you don't really think about it. And uh, for her, she doesn't have that opportunity to change that. So she is, you know, stuck with that forever. And I, the reason why I didn't want them to be able to change anything, even their hairstyles is because I wanted to symbolically, have them drag around all of their baggage from when they mm, were turned, right? Like all of it, <laughs> even you know, poor fashion choices or you know, missing a spot, you know, on the knee or not, you know, waiting for 
poor Stacy and her neck. And, you know, there's just, you know, things like that where I wanted, you know, all of the baggage from at the time that they that they became vampires to stick with them. That's right. And I mean, and that only goes and you, but you didn't um, go all the way with that because that you couldn't, like you couldn't have Ida dressed in 1921 fashions. No, right? because that was, change, she would she, just stand, she would stand, they would stand out way too much. Right. Right. So she, yeah. Ida is able, like they're all able to change clothes. Like oh, yes. that's, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah for sure. For do. sure. Yeah. Yeah. For but, sure. but Ida's oh. hairstyle, she actually has pink curls, which were popular in the 1920s and, right. you know, is something that kind of comes and goes in fashion. So she actually blends pretty well. Same with Rose and, too. Right. And with Rose, her style was, you know, a short, you know, swing, which she would have teased, you know, and, and Bob maybe back in the day, but that day she happened to wear just wear it as a swing. So she can still pull it up in like a ponytail or that, that sort of, yeah, that retro sort of Betty style has come back since the fifties yeah. too. Right. It's, it's kind just, of, it's coming yeah, gone, coming gone, coming gone. Right. Yeah. She can't like change the length or the texture or anything like that. But so even that's the way she chooses to dress, she still chooses to dress in that fifties aesthetic, which yes. like I said, has come back so many times. Like it's not like if you saw somebody walking down the street in that fifties sort of polka dot aesthetic with a, with a bandana in her, in her hair, you would think she was like a fucking really cool chick, right? Like you wouldn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think anything of it, but if like Holly or if Ida walked down the street in 1921, like a big corset and, you know, big, <laughs> you know, like whatever the women were wearing at the time, you know, look like a Quaker in some instances, like you'd be like, what, what's going on there? Are they Mennonites or what are they doing? But uh, <laughs> it'd be weird. Right. So, right. and so, yeah, they, they, they're able to adapt and pass, but, you give Holly crimped hair, which has never come back in style. It never will. <laughs> it probably, I don't know. Maybe it will. I mean, everything usually does. Maybe it will one day, but it hasn't yet. Let's put it that way. As far as I know. Um, so you just, so it's like, it's, it's so funny because how you flip this idea that like, you know, longevity, long life is, is it's a curse in your story more than it's not suave, cool, great looking. I mean, they're good looking um, women, but, just this idea that we have of what vampires are, right? Like live in fancy places full of antiques and have managed to make money just because you're alive for so long and picked up a ton of skills, you know, because you, right. you just have time to learn the violin or whatever. And Polly's working the night shift at fucking Taco Bell. Like it's, yes. You know, yes. with, with a shitty little manager guy who's just a greaseball and, and she's doing everything she can not to just eat everyone around her, or at least kill them because everyone's an asshole. When, when you're like a street person, essentially is what Holly is. I mean, she's homeless, really. When we mm-hmm. meet her, you encounter like derelicts, right? Yeah. And people looking to take advantage of, especially young women, especially, right? And so she's in situations where, you know, no 16 year old should have to be in, but we know that she can take care of herself. Um, But you can't just, you can't kill everybody either. Cause I mean, that's obviously going to draw too much attention. Right. So So with, with Holly too, working the night shift talk about, I did that when I was 16. Mm. So I know like kind of how that felt like that mindset at that time. Yeah, And I think, what I really wanted to capture was that the real horror of my story is not just the vampire and the whole monster aspect of it, but really being stuck for all eternity as a 16 year old girl, Uh, especially because the way that 16 year old girls are treated, like they're not taken seriously. They can't get like we mentioned earlier, they can't get loans. They can't, you know, buy property. They can't get jobs outside of, you know, something that's part-time and minimum wage yet. They're expected to 
handle these adult burdens like mm-hmm. she had to when she was, you know, living before she passed. It's like the world expects a lot from teenage girls and gives them nothing in return. And that's one thing that's common to all of them is none of them were in a good situation. And now this is Elton's fetish, as it turns out, right? He's attracted to and, and you know, maybe sees an advantage to doing his shtick, right? Because Elton's a charmer. Yeah. Um, doing his shtick on, on girls who are uh, stand out, maybe not in a great way, don't have a lot of friends, don't fit in, bad home life. You know what I mean? Bad situation. Mm-hmm. Basically somebody looking for it to make a connection. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's Elton's type. So he, you know, Elton's really great at grooming them and getting them ready. And then like all these other fucking monsters out there, men I'm talking about, you know, they, <laughs> they discard them as soon as they're have no use, no longer any use to them. So there's, there's a lot of that going on in this and it's, he's a serial groomer discarder. Right. And it's like, it's a touchy, yes. it's a sensitive subject. And I think, you know, was there, because this book is like, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of gore in it and it's, there's real dark themes. Like I just talked about with Elton, but at the same time, it's like, it's kind of just fun. I don't know. It's weird. Are we just so mm-hmm. fucked up now from like, what we from like what we do in the shadows who, you know, that great movie and TV series, right. That, that looks at vampires and makes fun of them. And like, are we just so desensitized that, you know, we read this and we're, this is so much fun. And there's like a lot of gore in this book. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, I think for, for me anyways, I've always used humor as a coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people do. And I think that my humor tends to be darker because of that. Right. So, it, you know, I, I lace it through the book. Um, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of, you know, heavier subjects, but I try to do it in a way that is a lighter hand, if that makes sense. Yep. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah. which, which you do. And, and I mean, that's, it's like I said, it is, it's, 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 it's funny. Cause I'm reading all this and I'm like, this is some dark shit, but I'm like having a really great time reading about it. So it's like, kind of, <laughs> you know, it's like one side of my brain is like, no, this, don't enjoy this. And the other side of my brain's like, but this is so funny. It's just like, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's really, you just, you really do strike a good balance though, for sure. And, and like I said, I think it is just as a culture, I think we are desensitized so much to stuff now. Right. Like it's, yeah, um, there's, for so sure. much, there's so much dark, weird shit in the world that, you know, it's, We've just gotten used to it. Unfortunately, it's not a not a great spot, but it's just it is what it is. Um, there's this there's a thing in this book where um, I'm trying to see if I can bring this up without spoiling anything. But um, yeah, you have this thing in the book where you have to exchange, you know, sort of immortal immortality for for the past, right? It's like you don't get to. It's like it's. I'll try and avoid. De- I'm not going to say any details, but it's like in your world, you can't have both. And I'm just sort of thought of like you in real life. Would you, would you make that deal? And I think it probably depends on if you had a good life up to that point or not. But if somebody said you could live forever, but you got to, you know, we're going to erase, erase the past. Would you make that deal? Oh, you know, that's a hard call to make. Cause I don't know if I would necessarily want to live forever. I that's don't. Right. True enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause there's a lot of pitfalls with that, <laughs> that, um, is not something you necessarily think about at the time right um but i you know i don't know this way how how happy are you with your current hairstyle (laughs) um i think my hair current hairstyle is okay so i could probably use like another dye job because i 
have not been to a hairdresser since the very beginning of oh, 2020. Okay, okay. So. But I mean, that's the thing now. If somebody reads your book, let's say, and then, then a week later they run into a, into a vampire and they're like, I'm going to bite you. And you, you know, and you're like, well, let me run home and shave my legs first, just in case I miss any spots. <laughs> right. And I'm, you know, I'm going to, let's get this, maybe let this perm settle first before I let you bite into me. But um, yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? So it's, it's sort of in, in the same, it's like, would you want to know you know, how you died or the details surrounding your death. You know what I mean? Do you want to know that? Or do you not want to know that? It's always such an interesting question because would would knowing that change the way you act as a person or whatever, like if you knew you'd live forever and you couldn't die, are you going to just get, you would have, you that's carte blanche to be an asshole if you wanted to, I I suppose, but you could get away with a lot of, a lot of shit, but it's an interesting spot to be in. Um, So, what uh what do you got going on for launch week i oh i don't know i have different i think i have different um like interviews and in blog posts and for launch day i'm probably gonna i took the day off work so i'm gonna go around to the local bookstores and sign um stock yep and then (laughs) um but no, like, know. do you I have think... a panel or anything or a launch event? Or no, no, I don't. I don't have a panel. I don't think for release day, but I might have something later that week. I have a lot of stuff this month. Yeah. And I just came out with my uh, adult book too, five weeks ago. So I'm kind right. of dual promoting two books. So right. I'm always forgetting which ones go with which book. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, it's so, a good yeah, problem to have. It's a good problem to have. Um, yeah, for sure. I assume any any and all things will be on uh, SonyaHardle.com and then um, Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else that you uh, promote stuff. Yes, which will is a good reminder for me to update my website. Okay. <laughs> which which, which I'm which I'm tonight. looking at which I'm looking at now and yeah, it does need to be updated. But it uh, beautiful layout. I love the colors and the the blues and the flowers, and it's really it's really uh, pleasing to the eye. Oh, thank you. Um, Gail uh, Villanueva, she did uh, She did my website. She does the Pitch Wars website. And she's oh, amazing. okay. Yeah, it's really very pleasing to the eye. And not all uh, um, authored websites are created equal, unfortunately. So some there's just some that are <laughs> yeah. better than others. I can't help it. Um, so yeah, SonyaHardle.com and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Looks like you're on everything. So Check those out for the week of the launch. And uh, listen, Sonia, have a really great launch. Um, like I said to you before, if we're talking, that means I liked your book. And I, th- I think this book is a lot of fun. It really is. And I Thank fell in you. love with the characters. And and um, like to anyone listening, we we somehow managed to avoid spoilers. Like there's we had there's so much in this book we didn't even come close to touching. And uh, I think people are going to get a real kick out of some of the there's a really great the ending's really great. You do a really cool twist at the end, uh, which uh, which I thought was re- really really clever. And I think people are going to get a really good good kick out of this book. And I think it's a lot of I think people are really going to just have a lot of fun reading it, despite the gore and serious subjects <laughs> and stuff. And um, they're going to fall in love, I think. With uh, well, it's interesting to see if people pick their favorites. I'm I think I'm Team Rose, but uh, um, we'll see uh, what everybody else goes with. So, thanks so much for coming on the show, Sonia. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. There you have it, another episode of Everything is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Sonia for taking the time to chat. The Lost Girls is out now, and I highly recommend picking up a copy. Like I said, it's a ton of fun. You can head on over to sonyahardle.com for more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen, and head on over to cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. 
Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now. <laughs>